Welcome to The Power of Care, a podcast that shares insights, trends, and developments in the senior care ecosystem with a focus on technology and innovation. My name is Mark McGrand, Director of Business Development at Viar, a company that specializes in advanced, contactless, and private wellness technology. Each episode, I will be discussing the rapidly changing elderly care market with experts from the sector, including community operators, technology providers, caregivers, and senior living real estate developers. I hope this podcast brings you valuable content and information on the sector. And now for our guest. Uh, Today, we have a very special guest. We have Elisa Barfold joining us. He's a nursing consultant here at Viar. We do not normally bring in people from Viar to be on the podcast, but this one is definitely special. Uh, Lisa, thank you so much for being willing to actually do this with me. I'm so excited. Um, you know what? Just tell your background. I think anybody that's listening, they'll understand right away why I'm excited just to hear your, your background in the field. Okay. Nice to be with you, Mark. I appreciate the invitation. Um, I'm a registered nurse uh, with a bachelor's degree in nursing from 1976 or something like that. So I'm a very um, seasoned nurse is how we call ourselves these days um, with over 45 years of experience in a variety of of healthcare settings. Primarily, I was a registered nurse um, in um, intensive care uh, for many, many years. I've also been a nurse educator in general medicine and surgery. Uh, been a manager as well in uh, the departments of cardiology and pulmonology. Uh, so a very, a very varied background. Um, most recently, I was working as a primary care triage nurse to a very large internal medicine practice affiliated with uh, George Washington University here in the D.C. area. Um, I've had the pleasure of doing so many wonderful things in nursing. Um, my resume is is long because of all my moving around. I've even had the opportunity of working for several years in Israel. Um, I also worked in South Africa uh, for several months. And um, with those experiences, it brings me a very um, broad view of what nursing is capable of doing and the impact we really bring to the care of of our patients, no matter what the setting. Yeah. So it's with that 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 I, I uh, hooked up with Viar. Um, and we've been so excited about it. I mean, having you in here now gives us just that fresh perspective. At Viar, I think one of the hardest things, I mean, especially from a technology company side, you know, when we come into problems, we have a lot of different engineers and developers and marketing people. And we're, we're coming in, we're creating a solution that we think is going to solve a huge gap. And it has done amazing things. But you can't always know what you don't know. And if you're not the person that's, you know, actually behind the wheel, if you're not the person that's actually, you know, putting the shovel to dirt, you don't you don't know how that that is all the time. You don't have that perspective because you were working on the the hardware side of the technology side or, or the tool side of things. Having you in here now has really opened things up for us. I think made things really exciting. And that's kind of, you know, I wanted to kind of get in with you here today was have kind of a non Viar focused conversation since you know we are always talking Viar and just get a little more into kind of your side of things because what we're always looking to do is you know let's talk to the boots on the ground let's talk to let's talk to a nurse let's talk to a doctor let's talk to an executive director um, anyone that's actually there and, and get their perspective on things because as we're trying to introduce things to marketers I think that's often missed 
uh, when people go about it. My dad always talked about when we were, uh, they're one of the truck companies. The reason they made bigger knobs and trucks because they realized construction workers often have gloves on. You know, that's 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 having boots on the ground. That's realizing what it's like for the person that's actually driving. Who's who's really caring about this stuff? Think about it from their perspective. So thanks for jumping on with me here. Um, something I we always talk about your background. And I always have you run through that. But what I never stop and do, um, but I'm going to take advantage of here is actually ask you. Tell me about the beginning when you start when you came into nursing. What's one of those things when you walk through the door and you're a little bit just wowed by? Like, I, you know, if, if you're a nurse on the ground, you're kind of getting in there. Is there anything that kind of hit you at the beginning of your career? Oh, yeah, it was a, a shock. Um, I, as I mentioned, I have a bachelor's degree in nursing back in the 70s. That was kind of a plus. It was where nursing was headed. But many, many nurses were educated in either hospital-affiliated programs in a two-year program or two-year community college programs for associate degrees. And a bachelor's was in those days really quite uh, quite beneficial. The negative side of it, however, was that we were notorious for having less clinical hours. So my actual training at the bedside was lacking where my theory training was, um, was really good. So um, that brought me to the hospital. I worked first at University of Michigan in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, a very large academic setting, and I was put on a general medical floor which in those days, now we have rooms that are individual rooms. We had wards of 10 and 20 patients lined up in a ward, and you were responsible for a large portion of those patients. So um, coming to that environment was shocking. Uh, I didn't know how to even start my day. I didn't know how to arrange the priorities. Um, and in fact, they, they knew that this was such a problem that they had something called re reality shock was the term that was uh, coined. And many nurses who were brought in as new graduates to hospital settings were asked to go through these courses. And I eventually ended up teaching a course as a new grad to the new people in nursing, ironically, a year after I was still really? fairly new. Uh, teaching them about how to get over the shock of coming from a textbook, this is what the patient has going on, this is what you should be doing, to actually making that happen on a 8, 10, or 12-hour so you're on your floor. So you're a year in, and <laughs> you kind of just went yeah. trial by fire, and then right. followed that up with, okay, now I'm going to teach people behind. So yes. you basically came right right into it, the trial by fire, you're going through it, follow that up with, hey, now that you're a year in, which today, if I brought you a nurse that had a year of experience, you'd look at and say, yeah, she's still brand new, you know, or, you know, he definitely doesn't have the experience to, to be teaching a class, but you, on the other hand, you were thrown right at it. Right. And I'm not sure what really prompted them to pick me out of the group of new grads and say, Hi, you went through this course. Would you like to teach the next one? Um, and and I had no shame and and said, sure, why not? Uh, because by then, a year into it, I started to be able to sleep uh, at night when I wasn't working. I mean, I used to go home and you know ruminate over all the mistakes I must have made, and hopefully nobody died because of me. And it just was terrifying. Um, but I had a lot of good help on the floor, the nurses that were truly seasoned, helping me out. 
Um, and, uh, and, and eventually, you know, you kind of get your feet on the ground. And, and I, went, I went from there actually to, uh, into intensive care nursing, which was a whole different um, uh, training and, uh, and skill set. Um, but it, it, as I said, nursing has uh, tremendous opportunities. Um, I've worked with some renowned physicians as their um, sort of a clinician assistant uh, to one at Duke University comes to mind and, um, and very prominent doctors in their clinics and overseeing patients that were coming from all over the country to see this one particular doctor. And the things that were required of me were, were nothing that was taught in school and all had to be on-the-job training. So um, I've, I've really made full use of my many years. And, and with that, I think um, it's enabled me to see things um, from a, a kind of a different perspective than some of my other colleagues who have perhaps stayed in the same hospital for 20 or 25 years and yep. um, not, not gone outside of there. Um, yeah, I could definitely definitely see that. I could, as you're uh, coming into it, experiencing different things, you're going to have a kind of a different angle and eye to look through. Um, probably teaching that course, you know, they say sometimes, you know, a, a method even used in high schools and middle schools today is, hey, we're going to have a student teach the class because it kind of gets them more immersed into it. Um, I imagine a lot with the, with the, you know, the staffing shortages they go through today, your story of, Hey, I'm a year in, but you know I've basically got to be the veteran with, with churn of you know employees and everything else. I'm sure it's not the only one. I've got a feeling there's a lot of that today, and and I I, I guess you, you know you talk. I said, said I'm saying trial by fire a lot today, but it's more of a you know sink or swim. You, you have to. Right. There's no real choice, you know, in it to, today. So similar to your experience, I hope they're coming in. I don't know, maybe in the end it'll make better nurses because <laughs> they're moving it's, about it's, Yeah, right, right. Well, and and we've, um, you and I have chatted a little bit about the, the technology yeah. end of things. And um, I think that's the other thing that um, yeah. was, uh, it was it, fascinating to me as I was getting more involved in intensive care nursing and all the machinery that's involved and the knowledge that's involved in working with that machinery that's connected to a human being. And, you know, we, we have medications that are infused via um, automatic pumps, but they're set by a nurse. And um, certain medications require two nurses double check the dosage on that machine so as to make sure it's correct because an incorrect dose could kill the patient. So not a, a, a small thing. Um, and with that, as the technology advanced, so did the demands on nursing uh, for knowledge of technology, knowledge for uh, compute with computers, doing, um, you know, moving away from paper charting to computer charting. Um, and, and I think the technology grew faster than some of the nurses. Some of people, some of the people my, in, within my age group uh, didn't grow so well with that change in technology and, and moved away from the bedside because they found it too overwhelming to try and uh, keep, keep up with that. Um, I, have, I have many antidotes, but one of my famous uh, uh, situations was I was working in Southern California in a very large hospital that at the time was doing open heart surgery up to 30 patients a day, five days a week. 
Open heart surgery for heart disease was well known in the 80s, and it was the definitive cure for that problem. And so we were like a factory, 30 patients in a day with an ICU that housed 60 patients. It was enormous. Um, I can't, I don't even remember how many staff people we had, but you usually had one nurse per patient. Um, they at the time, again, this was in the early 80s, they were trialing an electronic medical record that had never been used in the United States mm -hmm. yet at that time, and everything was hooked to a computer. So the blood pressure cuff was automatically measuring the patient's blood pressure, and instead of the nurse writing it down on a flow sheet or putting it into a computer, um, he or she, it was already put in for them automatically from the cuff right to the computer. Same thing with their urine output was measured. You didn't have to touch anything. You didn't have to empty anything. Um, there wasn't anything that you had to do except make sure that the vital signs were okay, the medications were being given properly. And I realized at the end of my 12-hour shift that I had no clue as to not only did I not remember the man's name I was taking care of, but I had no interaction with him. He was fairly sedated, so I don't think he minded. <laughs> not much of a conversation there. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't right. And, um, but I minded, and I realized that with all that electronics, I also couldn't tell you what his blood pressure was because I had lost that connection between the patient. My even writing it down was my way of putting it in my brain. Well, I had lost that, that skill. I didn't need it. Um, it was being put into the computer automatically for me. So um, I realized that was, that was a, a turning point for me that, oh, wow, I think we overshot on this one. I don't think and this is going to be beneficial. I could see that. I could see that. I mean, I could see where technology does start a bit of a, a gap, and especially when you get to that point, like you said, of kind of becoming the factory where, you know, we've, we've done everything we can to not talk to people. And sometimes we do that. And I, I think, yeah. you know, tech companies really have a habit of doing it is, you know, how far, how far away can we push people so we don't have to interact with them? You know, I want to order my, even, you know, it's funny because even today with, uh, with COVID and the different things going on there, you know, I placed my order on my phone. Yeah. I tipped on my phone, leave it on my front porch and don't ring my doorbell. You know, my camera will see you. I don't even, <laughs> I want zero interaction or contact with you um, as much as we can get, but I could see in a hospital setting, you know, if, if you looked at the numbers, I could say st statistically, you know, if you let a machine do it, you do, you, you get better outcomes in the end. But I could also see that you're not going to have that breakthrough. You're not going to have that catch where what if we, you know, I just noticed this. I know the numbers say this, but I can see this with this one person. If we had just done that, you know, we could have had a change. And that it does put a bit of a disconnect. And also from a trust perspective, you know, when you go into these places, if I'm going in for surgery, I like the doctor to... <laughs> you know, shake my hand a little bit. I like to know the nurse that's, that's right. checking on me, have a little bit of connection there, especially for those that, that might be a bit scared that, you know, we have that, that, you know, that bond that forms in place. I think on the senior living side, that comes out more than anywhere because, you know, it's not a, okay, you can get away with it in a bit of moving a surgical setting because hopefully you see your surgeon, you have your procedure, you know, you kind of do move on from it. Sometimes that gets lengthened out, obviously, for medical reasons. But, you know, in a senior living setting, those nurses, it's a it's a hands on all the time. It is. So, it is. It's the yeah. connection. It's the connection. And I think that's um, that was pivotal in my career in that I um, I chose to cho I chose places to work where I could use my 
the uh, the whole part of me and not just the technically savvy person yeah. but the the entire part of me that that would add to the person's positive outcomes and certainly with our elderly population that just i mean that we we know now that that kind of uh, sterile environment and that kind of no touch is actually physically detrimental to them and um and we, we have many instances where patients who have come out of um, surgery, elderly people, become very confused. And we know that. And it's, we don't know exactly the mechanism, and we don't know why it happens. But um, it's a, it's a well-known problem, and it can impact their mortality. Uh, so statistics research has borne that out, that um, just hospitalizing an older person can cause them to deteriorate and some can bounce back from that and some don't. So um, that's, you know, the, the elder, care of the elderly is a totally different ball game. The metabolism is different, the psyche is different, and certainly the need for physical contact um, and touch is, is, is incredibly important. So that connection has to be considered when looking at different technologies. Because I know, and we talked about it over your, earlier today, we were discussing things. I know we, we touched on um, you had the story of pushing a uh, pushing the extra cart with an ashtray for doctors, you know, at some point in time. And, and I know that that's one thing when we talked about the the cultural changes that technology can bring about. How it starts out with, you know, technology might have pushed us in this direction, but we started doing this more. And it goes from a it, it's not just that your 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 phone changed things by having a camera on it, but now we all take a lot more cameras and we're a lot more, you know, image involved. Um, and things like that. And I think that push that kind of came from the technology and changing things culturally and culturally in hospitals, we discover that smoking is bad for you, which comes about pushing it. It's not always so black and white, but sometimes it is. And I imagine with technology as you're reviewing it, you probably went through a lot of those things too. Of Okay, we can do this with technology. We can get this disconnect. But it's always figuring out how do we maintain a little bit of closeness um, in some of these, some of these industries, especially the senior one, because like we said, you don't want someone going into senior living and it just, they get cut off and put in their cell and no one talks to them because that has a, a huge impact. Exactly, exactly. We have to somehow marry the technology, um, which can be fabulous and can be very, and can be life life uh, altering for, for some of these people. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what we, we, that's the positive side of it. But the isolation is profound and, and you also will find that there are caregivers who gravitate towards that. Like you say, you know, just leave it on my front door and I'll know it's there. There are caregivers who want very little interaction with their patients. And we have to be really careful with that because that sets the tone for the entire environment, the culture of the facility um, where those people are living, um, to hire in people that are really happy with, you know, yeah, I can just sit at a desk and monitor everything and I don't need to interact with these people, that's fine with me. That isn't gonna work very very successfully for an elder population. Because yeah, I've, I've heard that talked about a lot and I don't know anything about it. Again, me being on this side of the, this side of the coin versus the other. Um, but you, you do often hear, as you touched on earlier, the, the mental aspect of things that, um, I guess that not so concrete side of things where if a person, you know, a person can deteriorate and there really isn't any physical sign of something going on or their physical outcomes can be so heavily affected by, you know, a feeling of, you know, gets connected, I guess, happiness or to comfort, you know, 
And that drives me nuts because sometimes I do become a bit analytical when I look at things and I want it to be, you know, A plus B equals C and it just everything goes in a line and that's how we can figure things out. And it, it, it is challenging when you're building technology and things that have to do with radar imaging. <laughs> you know, there's so much of what we do that does that side of it. Um, you know, what have you seen from, from the mental side? I mean, do, um, well, uh, again, um, we, um, we see people, uh, withdraw. I think that's a, a very common sign, mm -hmm. um, eating less, getting out of bed less, uh, interacting less and, um, and some, or sometimes they actually go on the side of, you know, becoming belligerent or not pleasant to be around. And so it's a little cycle where nobody wants to be with this guy because Mr. Smith's not a very nice guy. Mm -hmm. Well, he's not a very nice guy because he doesn't know how to express his loneliness, his sadness, his feeling of hopelessness, that he's getting older and he can't do for himself as he used to. Um, so all those things contribute to his downward spiral, if you mm -hmm. will. And, um, and every, everybody reacts a little differently to the changes that age brings upon us all. Yep. So that's, that's, it's incumbent upon us who deal with, um, with the aging population um, to, to try and be able to understand that and pick up on those sometimes subtle and sometimes not so subtle. Or, or better yet, that my, my least favorite thing is that someone gets diagnosed as being demented when they're actually exhibiting fairly common um, you know, forgetfulness that you or I will exhibit, maybe me more than you, but um, will exhibit at, at times and, and not be labeled as demented. Um, and, and so it, we're very quick to label people and then to put them in a category. And then from there, we, we don't offer them the stimulation or the things that they actually need, the opposite of what, what it is. Um, they're pushing us away and we stay away as opposed to bringing them, trying to bring them in. And, and figure out what we can do to bring that person back to a, 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 a more satisfying or a happier level if possible. Um, I can imagine that there's got to be a lot of subjective judgment in that. And that's challenging because it's hard to look at someone and say they seem more forgetful. I mean, it's mm -hmm. and it, sometimes it's not even fair to put a test in front of them and have them do you know a test because they just, right, right. even those tests, they're going to have gray area to the edges of them. Um, but yeah, you, you're not going to notice if a person is, is just slowly getting more, more forgetful that that's hard to say. My own family, we've had things like that where we look at someone and say, okay, yeah, they're starting to go down this path a little bit, but I think figuring that out, has got to be a real challenge. Cause the other thing too, is I know it might be something where you say, Hey, it looks like this person's getting up more often. looks like this person's not eating as much. looks like this person's kind of doing this. In a hospital setting, you probably have a lot more hands-on control of that, but in a, a residential environment where a person leaves your care and goes home, you know, a doctor's not going to be able to pick up on that right away. A person goes into, you know, right. again, getting back to senior living, you're not looking behind the doors all the time. I can imagine from a, it, they've got to, like you said, though, it's marrying the technology. It, it's got to be an actual interaction and care that comes along with it. No, you need someone that does have that heart, that special heart that, that's inside of every nurse that they can actually really connect and care for an individual. Um, but marrying it to that technology where it's, they can also use tools um, to help them along. I know uh, I was speaking with someone in the, um, the IDD space or the intellectually and developmentally disabled space. 
and he was talking about how some of the negative interactions um, that they have result in the people that they care for leaving the home, you know, walking out the front door and getting away, things like that, and having problems. And they said one of the main things with it is just that they have a care person in the home all the time. They said, you know, that that interaction, you know, causes eventually results in some friction. Um, they have things where they have a person that would get upset because they're checking on them at night. So in the middle of the night, you've got a care person opening the door. And I nurses, same thing, opening the door and you're kind of checking on a person and they would get frustrated. I remember stopping the conversation at that point saying to them, wait a minute, this doesn't sound like a special group of people. This just sounds like people. I think in the, the nurse said the same, same rules applied. I think every person, if someone comes poking their head, I, you know, you finally get your eyes closed. You finally are, you feel like you're about to hit that REM cycle. And someone peeks in the door and looks at you. It's going to cause a little bit of friction. You stay living with anybody for, you know, a, a number of years, months, it might even be weeks, sometimes days with certain people, but you're going to have friction that builds up. You're going to have those, those moments. So, Balancing out that care and how to marry the tools together has got to be crucial. Um, I'm sure at certain times it probably uh, you had a few run-ins with people as all those things that got automated, as you mentioned earlier, from, oh, now your blood pressure is automatically red. This is automatically red. That was automatically red. There's some benefit to that. And then at least now you're not constantly in that person's face and poking. I'm sure you had some run-ins where people said, would you just stop? <laughs> right. Right. And I, um, <laughs> in the, one of my pet peeves in the ICU was that, you know, we'd get, we'd get a patient, let's say, postoperatively who needs their vital signs, their blood pressure taken every five minutes. And then you can back off and you don't need to take it every five minutes. And my, my, oh, I would go nuts if I would follow a nurse who had been taking care of this person for 12 hours before me and they left the blood pressure running every five minutes for those whole 12 hours. I'm like, have you ever had a blood pressure cuff on your arm and have it pump up every five minutes? It's enough to make you want to crawl out of your skin. Oh and, and, you know, so I would be super like, okay, what's the timing on this machine and why in the heck is it still on every five minutes? Um, because that's, those are tactile things mm -hmm. that, that cause people to feel really irritated and, and, and not, you know, you may say, okay, well, we have to do it. No, you don't have to do it every five minutes for the 12 hours. So, um, there's, there's many, but you have to be, um, you know, we have to marry again, the, the technology together with, um, the, the, the hands-on, the caring. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of our biggest challenges in taking care of the elderly population is the turnover of staff. And with that, the, the clients, the residents, don't have the connection to people um, because they come and go. And we know that with stable staff, people react very differently. And, and, between, and it's, more, it's a more positive thing for the caregiver as well as for the person receiving the care, that they know this person, um, they care about this person, um, and that that becomes essential to setting the tone for the facility, for the environment for that person. Um, and they are the ones who can very often pick up on, um, on, on changes that may be subtle to even the family who come and visit once a week or however often. And, they don't see it like the, the caregiver who sees that person every day. Mm -hmm. But the turnover is a real problem. So when it comes to technology, because there's a, like you said, there's a balancing act here. And I don't, I don't I'm, I really don't know the answer to this. this is, when you're bringing new technology, 
do you think that was something that kind of supported staff saying, I mean, did you ever look at it as place and say, you know, one of the reasons I like saying here is because they really do have the latest, they have latest technology. They have more here for me to work with, or was it frustrating if you were in a place and they keep introducing new technology and it's to the point where you're kind of looking at it and you're going, they're just changing things. All it, it, it doesn't feel settled. Like I just want to do things my way. And if they're not settled, then I'm not settled, you know, kind of creates that. What did you or, see? Or, or yeah, if, if, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So many times technology was brought in um, and it's brought in by administrators who are not at the bedside mm -hmm. and they're pushing on the staff. We need to introduce this new thermometer we're going to start using. And, um, and the staff are like, well, what's the problem with the old thermometer? I mean, it, you know, it worked just fine. Um, so there's no con there's no conversation and there's no input very often from the clinical bedside people um, for the changes that take place from a techo technological perspective. I have a really good uh, a good example of that too is the actual related to falls, which of course is what we deal with so much. Um, you, you know, we had to, we used to restrain people four point restraints, arms and legs to keep them in the bed. Then. The legal aspect of that came to play, and rightly so, that that became imprisonment, and that is something we could not do, um, and we had to stop. And then it was the side rails couldn't be put in, be put up because that was considered imprisonment as well. Well, I have to tell you from from a nurse bedside nurse's perspective, that's craziness. That in a acute care setting, you're telling me I can't put the bed rails up, that that patient's going to be safer not having bed rails to protect them as they roll over and they don't realize where they are, they don't remember they're in the hospital and the railing, you know, reminds them that they're, you know, someone wakes them up and then they say, oh, I'm, I'm here in the hospital. And again, I'm talking about somebody who's lucid mm -hmm. and, and able to do that. Um, so we've gone, you know, kind of all over the place with trying to provide safety at the same time that we're respectful of people's rights. Um, and leaving the actual bedside caregiver out of the conversation. And that's very frustrating for that bedside person, be it a nurse or a nursing assistant, because they, we have a lot to offer to that conversation. Um, and we may end up at the same place. We may end up saying, I guess we can't have bed rails, but maybe we'll put, now they're putting mattresses on the floor so that if the patient falls out of bed, they fall onto a mattress. Um, I just think sometimes we've gone over the deep yeah. end trying to uh, look at people's rights above and beyond their safety. And in given cir certain circumstances, I think the safety has to be the number one uh, priority. And that can be done without four-point restraints. Yes. Yeah, we don't have to tie people down to beds anymore. But the idea of a rail. I'm very glad to see that disappear. Yeah, yeah that was cruel and, and just horrendous yeah. and and we went through times where we had to get the family to sign off that they approved of us using the restraints if needed then we started using medications instead of the restraints which could be equally as deleterious mm -hmm. to someone as the restraints um you know there's no there's no right or wrong but so now we're 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 at a precipice i think where we are looking and, and this this applies to the idea of a a camera in somebody's mm -hmm. room that people are offended that someone's watching me or would you rather them would you rather them watch me um 
you know, on a camera, then peek in the door and wake me up to watch me. Um, but nobody likes being watched. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things that was challenging to me too. And I kind of was coming into it was, we didn't even go back to when I did PERS and just the, uh, the, the push buttons for those that don't know, PERS stands for personal emergency response system. Basically it's the buttons that can be pressed to get someone assistance. So they're used in residential homes. We've seen all the different commercials, someone laying on the ground, presses their button to call for assistance versus someone inside of communities press. And they usually get some staff member on site to come and help them. But going back to then, you even had conversations with people um, saying, you know, can I put a camera in my mother's home? You know, we had GPS tracking devices, and that's still are pretty common in purse devices today, so that someone can be followed. But the reactions, again, it's not, it's not seniors, it's not someone with this type of, of uh, you know, challenge that they're they're facing or overcoming, but it's just people in general. You know, if I told you I'm going to stick a GPS on you and I can track you, that usually doesn't, you know, <laughs> doesn't go over well. People don't get too excited about that. It really doesn't matter the age group, but you know, of course, we look, we put seniors sometimes to this group when we say they need to be taken care of. They need, they need this and they going on. But like you said, there's usually a balancing act. And you have the conversation with the end user. You find out you're going to get to the same point talking about, you know, physical restraints on them. You can see from the nurse's side, the nurses ended up. Yeah. We don't think that's a great idea either. You know, do we have other solutions for it? Same thing with um, cameras in the rooms. That's something that was kicked around a lot. Well, can we just stick a camera in mom's house you know, if dad falls, we've got him on the ground. You know, if, 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 you know, we can see what's going on at any point in time, usually what you end up with is someone pushing back and going, no, can I stick a camera in your house? No, can I, can I watch you? Most of my faults happen in the bathroom. You really want a camera in there all the time with me? You know, those types of issues. I mean, that was an exciting thing about VR because the idea of this really blew my mind. But again, it's, it's marrying the technology and kind of figuring out that end point. Because sometimes I can look at our stuff and I know that there's a lot that we can do, but at the same time, I don't think I'd go to any type of community and I would make the argument or to one of our platform partners and make the argument with them of, hey, let's do this so that we have zero contact with our people in here. No, it's it's the spot, those trends and those changes, especially if you are experiencing a lot of turnover to say, okay, we see something going on, you know, but they still have that that connection with them at the end of the day and that we're we're finding the right right things to do, making those right choices. Because I could see with the bed rails, the bed rail seems a little risky to me. I don't like the idea of putting a, a mattress on the ground next to it because you're still, usually if you're coming out of that state, now this is me not being a nurse, but my first thought is I usually have an IV in my arm or something else. And mm-hmm. that usually doesn't have a 40-foot cord on it. <laughs> That's right. No, you know? no. Um, I don't want those right. popping out. And, and I really, um, I, I have felt over time that we, we, have to, we have to come to a reasonable um, compromise, if you will. Mm-hmm. And for instance, if a patient has side rails up and they, they've done studies that have shown that people are actually have harmed themselves more by trying to climb over the side rail yeah. and that that's why they took the side rails away. Um, I'm not sure. I think what <laughs> I'm going to say something very negative here, but I think it's a lack of, of skill on the part of the bedside person who wasn't picking up on clues long before that person climbed over or attempted to climb over the side rail. The person doesn't wake up from a, at being a, a very calm and oriented person to suddenly trying to climb over side rails. They've been giving you clues for several hours that they're confused, that they're agitated something's going on 
and then they climb out of they try and climb out of the side rails. So I think it's a lack of ability on the the bedside person's skill to pick up on those cues early enough on so that we could have prevented that person from getting to the point of agitation where they climb out of the rail out of the bed themselves and hurt themselves. Same thing goes for, you know, I mean a fall detection device in a home I think can can be in you know very discreet and and some well, at least our device is not a camera, so it is discreet in that fashion. Um, and I think that that's what offers it the best possibility of marrying both things. Now, that doesn't mean that the family can leave the person alone. Um, it doesn't mean that they're capable of taking their medications. I mean, there are other angles to it all this. It certainly is. It, it's, it's, a, it's, yeah, it, it's a whole picture that has to be painted here. I mean, there, there's a lot of colors that are kind of coming into place as we're putting it together. But I think... You know, one thing it seems like you always come back to is the, the indicators. That when you're looking at these different situations, if you're trying to figure out and do it in an effective manner, it's usually trying to find, if we're going to respect privacy, if we're going to respect um, freedom for individuals, it's usually, okay, well, then how do we start identifying before it happens? How do we pick up on the indicators that something is about to occur? So if I've got someone in bed, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to say anything. But if I was a nurse and had a few years of experience... Uh, maybe even a year of experience, and, and <laughs> but I could probably look at an individual in bed, and like you said, a nurse knows to look for those indicators. And that, from a technology side, is why we're excited to have you because we we're hoping you feed us a lot more of hey, here are indicators. I don't care what they're for, but if you feed us indicators, and we can start to use those because, like you said, a good nurse probably looked at that person and said they're doing X, Y, and Z. I know I talked to a director of nursing uh, a few months ago, and her feedback was. If you gave me four hours to sit and stare at someone at night, I can tell you how the next day is going. You know, so again, it always kind of seems to come back to these indicators and picking up on those. I mean, are there certain things? If you're a nurse right now, you walk into a room. I mean, what? Give me some examples of the indicators you look for for really anything. I'm just so in, interested in these indicators of. Here's a big one. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's funny because you 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 can go to the grocery store and you're walking behind somebody and you're looking at their body shape and yeah. how they're walking and they're a little breathless and you're kind of thinking to yourself, okay, I think that guy used to smoke a lot based on his body design. Mm -hmm. No, seriously, because really bad smokers with bad emphysema have really broad shoulders and a very narrow waist. And, um, and that's kind of the, the body has taken on that shape to try and accommodate the lungs, which aren't working properly. So there's a body type that goes along and then you see how they're walking and you see their breathlessness. And then you look at their color and you're like, yeah, this guy's got really bad end stage yeah. emphysema. And you, you can't, you, you know, you can't really like turn it off. I'm not going to say anything yeah. to the guy. It's not going to help him at all. But you, it's funny how you, you just, you, you notice these things and you can't help. But if you've had good background and you've had good training mm -hmm. that, you know, you're taking care of somebody and, um, and you're noticing they're just slightly more restless. Um, I have a, I have a good example of, um, you know, someone I knew who was on very commonly used medication for nerve pain in their legs due to diabetes. Mm -hmm. But the, this medicine was used for epileptics, and it is used for epileptics. And it, it, it has an uh, impact on the brain that can cause some uh, stunting, and you, you become like a little bit not so sharp. You become kind of dull. And, 
that's a side effect of the medicine. Well, it's helped their nerve pain in their legs, but they're not as sharp mentally. So family would know to mention that to the doctor, but a clinical person should know, ah, this person's on this particular class of medicine, and I'm noticing that she's behaving a little less clear. She's just, you know, and just taking that medicine away after a couple of weeks, the person like revived and they, they even said something afterwards like, wow, I feel like I've woken up out of a fog. Like they were feeling foggy but couldn't identify it. So it's, it's knowledge on many different levels that enables you to put the picture together and perhaps prevent uh, some you know deterioration. I mean, this person was being labeled as someone who was developing dementia. It was strictly due to side effects of medications. Um, so that can that can be very uh, profound. That's, that's um, huge. I mean, that's that's yeah. the kind of stuff. So when we look at it from a technology standpoint, usually we look for what are the indicators and what are trends. Like one of the things that some of our partners have focused on are things like bathroom visits or time spent in bed, because that is the physical that we're tr always trying to connect. I think every technology is trying to do it. There's a lot out there that are doing things with heart rate and, and pulse ox and a million other things. But what, what they start out with is always at the base level of, you know, the hand to wrist, figuring out, all right, what's what's the right? Can we put a number to that? You know, if we capture the indicator, then we can say, OK, now there's a million things you can do with it. I mean, there's always, you know, the the obvious when you first start doing it. You know, if I can tell, does a person have a pulse? You know, yes or no. <laughs> That's usually a good place to kick it off. Um so, but then from there, you know better than I do over time, it's a, well, how does that rate change? How is their, what's their rhythm look like? You know, how, is it, yeah, you feel it right now and um, the person's still within the normal range for, right. for, for everybody, but typically they were towards, you know, they were always low. So what is the, the normal heart rate range? Just give me, just for example, say. Like 60 to 80. 60 to 80. So let's say you always have a person there um, great shape, marathon runner. Every time they come in, their heart rate's like 58 because they're just, their resting heart rate is, they're just ridiculous. Um, or they come to right. see you and it's at 78 now. Average person looking at it, even average clinicians probably looking at it and going, all right, well, they're in range, not a big deal. If you knew that person, you had that connection with that person, that's what we do on the technology as we say trending. So that's where we would pick right. up when we try to I think that's where you can maybe use a little bit of technology is filling that gap of the mm -hmm. every nurse can't be there for five years. You know, you don't walk in the front right, door right. and you've got a year of experience um, with all the people around you and knowing all the residents that well. But if we can start to maybe branch in some of that technology to give us some of those trends, we can help bridge the gap a little bit, a little bit faster, a little sooner than we have before. Um, that's, Absolutely. that's really interesting to, to take a peek at maybe that's how we you know we put the care kind of back into it and, and make sure that we're doing the right thing as opposed to just throwing technology at stuff and providing new thermometers that's that's exactly that's exactly right and i have uh, one more one more really good example of technology that didn't get clue didn't get tied into the picture of the person was when we came out with the pulse oximeters that that you wear on your finger that tell you your pulse pulse your oxygenation um, I remember when those first came out and it, it was the rage and everybody had a pulse oximeter yep. and the nurses didn't know what to do in terms of assessing somebody if they didn't have their pulse ox 
oh, really? uh, available to them the number. And I remember um, a patient went into some very severe distress on a regular medical floor, and the nurses were running around trying to get their, their portable pulse oximeter to be able to see. The guy's lips were blue. I don't think I needed a pulse oximeter to tell me that he wasn't breathing well. And he was only breathing like six breaths a minute. So I didn't need a pulse oximeter. I could <laughs> really good, assess that's that. That's a pretty obvious one. Yeah. yeah. And it was that obvious. I mean, and I'm, I'm like, guys, get the, get the doctor, get anesthesia, get, you know, the crash cart. Forget about the pulse ox. We know this guy is going to, you know, stop breathing here. And, and it was just, it was amazing to me that we had got this in our heads that we need the technology because we can't look at it if we don't have yes. that number to look at. No, you have the whole person to look at. And that's what we, we want to make sure we don't lose sight of. It's a part. Yeah, it's, it's a part of the whole. It's a part. It's it, nice it's to a, know. It's, yeah. but it, right, you pull through right, a house, right. you see it's on fire, go that's grab, the, go grab right. the hose. Don't sit there and try to figure out, well, we got to know why. <laughs> right, we'll get right. There. Wow, when where this fire started. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, okay, we can figure that out later. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. If, uh, it's on fire. Let's put it out first, and then we'll then we'll work backwards. Then we'll figure out what happened. My dad always told me growing up, the first problem first. Let's solve this one. Don't worry about the next one. Um, I think that's how we, you know, and with all the stuff as we bring in the technology, is always a balancing act. Is the right if we're going to provide an appropriate level of care for anybody, it's got to be a here's a piece, here's a piece. No technology should come in with the pure mindset of we're going to come in and replace nursing staff. I mean, that's, that's not right. the way to do it. What it is is a way to augment or to support, augment. you know, how do we, exactly. you know, it, you, how do we become a part of this and give them the tools that they need? Cause hopefully that gets more staff to want to stay where they are too. That's exactly, that's exactly right. And the more you bring the staff in on the building of that technology, if you will, not necessarily from the ground up because the technology exists, oh, yeah. but the building of that within their, within their facility and mm -hmm. how do we incorporate it and what does it mean and how is it going to help my day and how is it going to help Mr. Smith that I'm looking out after along with the other 20 people that I'm responsible for, the, the more you get that buy-in, um, and, and their input, I think the more successful any of those technological advancements are going to be. Yeah, I think that's a good point is we're bringing it in, we're bringing in um, data and tools. And it, as you implement it, it's got to be right alongside the current staff member. You know, the, the guy that's driving the bus should have a say and, you know, and where the uh, seat gets put, you know, it's, it's that kind of thing. They got to know, hey, this is how it works, by the way. And, you know, Training is a huge part of that too. Um, I know some of our uh, partners out there as they're training these different communities, they're making sure to set up, hey, we're not doing one training. We know that you have three shifts. We're gonna do three trainings. Because right, doing the right. one training means you only trained one and they just learned it you know, an hour or two beforehand. They can't train the next group. Um, so kind of understanding those things is how I think, you know, it's a good way to mesh things together. So I'm sure yeah. there's some, um, yeah. all right, so, it, as we're coming up to the end here, I do have to ask you, um, yeah. tell me something, what was like a huge technology thing that was brought in that just kind of was like, oh boy, this changes everything. <laughs> Is there anything that stands out to you in your mind that was just like, this one was just the, this was a big one, good or bad? Uh, um, yeah, probably the, the most uh, dramatic one was uh, the implantable portable, def the implantable defibrillator. Mm. 
that um, I was involved in the research on that device before it became FDA approved, um, and um, and that has saved thousands of lives. Now it's a, a little tiny pacemaker combined with a defibrillator Amazing. implanted, and it saves people who are having these uh, rhythm problems that cause them to die, but it actually shocks their heart back into normal rhythm. And, and then if it needs the pacemaker, then takes over for the heart and keeps the heart beating. That was the most amazing technology that I've seen, and the growth of that over the last 30 years has been just astounding. We used to have to put it in with open heart surgery. Now we put it in under local anesthesia, and it's a little tiny thing. It was the size of a uh, of a cigarette, a, bo a box of cigarettes at the time, the, really? a, a carton of, uh, not a carton, but a, a, car a um, a cigarette case. So um, the size not only decreased, but the technology is phenomenal, and being involved in that was was tremendous, and the amount of teaching that went on to the patients um, and picking the right patients to have that device put in, um, that was an amazing uh, technological advance. Yeah, that, that had to be, uh, and I imagine picking picking the, the let's say residents, but no, the, the patients that that actually belongs in right. That had to be a bit of a of a learning curve to say yeah. you know, this yeah. is the right type. This is the you know this is this person doesn't help, um, right. Right. which is actually is a good point for all technologies. You're bringing it in there. It's looking at it and saying, I think there's some technology that does apply almost universally. I don't think anything's mm -hmm. anything's perfect for everybody, but there's some stuff that it's yeah we should have this in every hospital room. We should have this in every residence, right. Right. and there's other stuff that is. You know, it's made for specifics, and sometimes it, that can vary hospital to hospital, or or community to community, or home to home. But yeah, That's figuring right. out that piece that that is amazing. The idea that you know we come in and we can put right underneath the skin, just this, this tiny thing, and you just yeah. went from you know, uh, I'd say being under to being over. <laughs> you know? Right. 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 I mean, we used to have to study the patients and cause them to have their fatal arrhythmia yeah. and then and then stop the arrhythmia electri electrically mm -hmm. to then substantiate that they would indeed benefit from the implantation of this mm -hmm. device, um, that it would work. Um, it's just, it, it is astounding. And like I say, the change in, in what it's done for so many thousands of people um, is pretty impressive. That, that, so. that is absolutely amazing. Well, and that's the kind of feedback and testing and everything else and experiences that you've had that, you know, here I'm really excited about. I mean, I'm really excited to um, kind of work with you on. I hope we can build some of these into the VIR technology. I hope you can talk to a lot of our partners. Um, if anybody out there is listening and they're considering being a partner or want to work or want to ask uh, Lisa questions, please reach out to us. Uh, it would be great to even if it's just a conversation or if it's about VR, that's great. If it's about something else and you just want to get some feedback from a nurse uh, consultant uh, with all the experiences and uh, globally, <laughs> global experience, really, um, please reach out to us and let us know. Otherwise, uh, Lisa, as usual, thank you so much for any conversation. We have always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, thank you, Mark. Well, definitely. Uh, well, we're always talking. So we'll talk again. <laughs> talk again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Power of Care podcast. Remember to follow the channel to stay updated on future episodes. And if you want to connect with me directly, feel free to email me at mark.mcgran at viar.com.